0: You're listening to the Inside the Mix podcast with your host, Mark Matthews. Hello and welcome to the Inside the Mix podcast. I'm Mark Matthews, your host, musician, producer and mix and mastering engineer. You've come to the right place if you want to know more about your favorite synth music artists, music engineering and production, songwriting and the music industry. I've been writing, producing, mixing and mastering music for over 15 years and I want to share what I've learned with you. Okay, folks, welcome back to the Inside The Mix podcast. If you are a new listener of the Inside The Mix podcast, welcome and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Now, in this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest today, Brian Hazard, a.k.a. Colour Theory. So, he is, or Colour Theory, is a synth-pop artist and professional mastering engineer with a passion for songwriting and producing and has amassed more than 5 million streams across streaming platforms. Wow. And he's going to share with us a little about his background and several songwriting and music production pearls of wisdom. Hi, Brian, a.k.a. Colour Theory. How are you? And thank you for joining me today. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Just for our audience listening, I always ask this now because the podcast has a, a worldwide reach. Where are you joining us from today? I am in Huntington Beach, California. Oh brilliant. Oh, I, I, this is totally uh, a British thing to say now, but what's the weather like there? <laughs> uh actually it's it's not characteristically uh, southern california.
1: It's uh it's overcast. Uh it's in the now don't don't make me do a celsius thing. It's in the it's in the mid 50s fahrenheit yeah. right now. So I mean it's nice. It's you know, I'm running in a t-shirt and shorts, but I do that all year
0: anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. It's um it's moderately overcast here and i think it's about 10 degrees i don't know what that is in fahrenheit <laughs> um, that, that makes yeah two of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly but uh, the fact is overcast it's it's uh, the, like i said just then the reason i asked is it's it, the podcast does i speak to people all over the globe and it's so cool that there's this platform available whereby you can have these conversations and it's uh, it's amazing i'm always intrigued i was chatting to somebody earlier in singapore um wow. so yeah it's fantastic getting to meet people all over the globe um Brilliant stuff. So, Color Theory. Tell our audience a bit about your sort of musical influences growing up. Um, which artist, song, or album sort of left an indelible mark on you and sort of for made you forge your career, your pathway in music?
1: Well, my first actual music purchase was the Eagles Hotel California on cassette. Um, I wouldn't say that that was the one that really got me into music, but that's when I started having enough interest in music to branch off from my parents. I think that was right around the time where they switched over to country music. Um, so the the album that really connected with me the most was, it's not going to be a big surprise, was Depeche Mode. Um, it was Some Great Reward. And uh, my best friend and I, we would, like, he he was always introducing me to music. We'd play the records. We'd like to sit there and listen to music, right? I I'd imagine that. It mm. just... Sit there with the sleeve open and the lyrics, and you know pretty soon we're singing along, and then sooner or later it's like, okay, well I'm going to do the higher harmonies when we're singing along. I mean it's it's pretty silly. Um, so I had somebody, of course, was the song that I I really fell in love with, and I remember he had a typewriter. I I know I sound really old, <laughs> but it was it was old for the time too. Um, his mom was a professional trans. I don't know the the proper <laughs> transcriber way to say. transcriber yeah is that really it so um for medical records and stuff so there's a typewriter and I love those lyrics so much I um I typed them up um and I took them home and I you know dubbed it to cassette from his record and I listened to it all the time so
0: that was that was really the branching off point for me Amazing I love the fact you mentioned Eagles Hotel California as well because uh as soon as you said that it it sparked my um my sort of nostalgia for my music influence and when i started playing guitar the the reason i sort of started playing was because i wanted to do the the guitar harmonies from hotel california (laughs) um at the end i still still haven't got around to actually doing it to be fair (laughs) 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 i then went and pivoted in various other directions and then obviously you got the depeche mode influence there as well and i think it's fair to say it's you can sort of hear that in in your music and um We'll come on to that in a bit. But no, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So as as actually a musician, do you, do you have a, a particular instrument that you are sort of proficient with or do you have multiple instruments?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm very, very proficient at the piano. More proficient than I need to be because I got, actually got a degree in piano performance. So essentially I went to school... To be a concert pianist, to, you know, is what it comes down to. Mm. Is what my day looked like. So, uh, yeah, that's my main instrument. Um, I uh, played mallet percussion in the drumline and all the and all the different instruments for different things. And I taught high school drumline for a few years. So uh, you know, I'm I'm decent at percussion and and can manage the drum set. I, I got through uh, rock band in expert mode, the whole thing. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Uh, Fantastic!
1: Can't play a lick of guitar. I think Mm. at one point I could play um, "Message in a Bottle" by the Police, which was actually pretty impressive, and Mm. I could kind of sing it. Although my by the end of the song, my voice was tired. Um, Yeah, so that's about it for me. I, you know, I don't really consider myself a singer. Of course, that's the most important thing I do. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting interesting one being a singer. Because I, I every because I write my own music as well, and I always you with the idea, of thinking, you know what, can I sing? Should I give it a go? <laughs> um, at what point? Because I'm always intrigued by this. At what point did you think, actually, you know what, I, I, I can sing a little. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it down on a on a record and see what happens.
1: Oh uh, no, I, I mean, I was always doing it. Like I had in in high school, I was in a band called the Thought Chapter, which I named one of my albums after. Mm. Um, it's just me and a friend and his brother and, uh, and I, you know, I sang and traded off with, with him. And, uh, then I was at a band called European White Disco in college. That was kind of like Wham meets Duran Duran, if you can imagine that. Oh, wow. And I sang back up. So I, I always sang, but I, I, I never, I'm not lead singer material. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I'm not going to go on a stage with just me and a mic and, you know, yeah, do, do the
0: things. That's just not me. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. Lovely stuff. I think what we'll move on to next then is sort of um, the, the main item, which is surrounding sort of music production and a bit of writing, songwriting, about your, with regards to your music. So I think it'd be good to start off with with a song in particular. So uh, if you want me to, being the title of the song, um, mm-hmm. if you just break down for our audience sort of like the songwriting and composition processes or process for this particular song? How does a song start for Color Theory? Yeah, so the The process between songs isn't too different.
1: So, and I, I don't want to bore you with a, a huge uh, diatribe on this, but basically, mm. I have a process, and then I have a process I'd like to do, but I don't do. Okay. <laughs> so the process, as it actually happens, is you know, like most people, I hear about people having these unfinished ideas, and people don't finish songs, and you mm-hmm. see on YouTube like how to finish songs. That is not my problem. I do not have extra ideas lying around. Yeah. For for me, uh, I have to deliver a song every month to patrons on Patreon, and with studio work, you know, you never know when that's coming in, and that's obviously priority. And so sometimes, you know, it gets really close to the end of the month, and I've got to deliver a song. Um, so basically, I am writing and recording a song in about five days. The the whole th- thing yeah um so okay so i always start from a production snippet and so that that's you know usually just like drums bass maybe some kind of lead arpeggio or synth line or just just enough there to establish a feel Mm -hmm. and the reason i do that is you know naturally i would write at the piano and i did my first couple albums i wrote them at the piano and I think what I found is that I had like reviewers refer to it as an album of ballads. There's just something about writing at the piano that doesn't necessarily translate to you know a synth-pop kind of context. So I mm-hmm. think starting with that idea and having a groove in mind makes it a lot easier. Um, so I've got that groove. Uh, as far as the song itself, I, I like to start from a title, because if you've got a cool title, that's half the battle. Yeah. Um, Generally from there, uh, I end up producing the entire instrumental. Um, So now I've got, I mean, every little bit, you know, even though the, you know, transitions and sweeps and all that that kind of stuff. Um, Just because by the time I record vocals and work through the vocals and all that, like I I don't want to go back and read, you know, and touch up the production and add the finishing touches. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so the the, the melodies now, I'm going to poke out at the piano or, you know, synth piano, figure that out, write some lyrics, record the vocals, mix it and master. And for me, the mastering is not a drawn out thing. It's really just compression, limiting and dither and anything else that needs to be addressed. I'm going to go back in the mix and fix it.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's the process. Fantastic. Yeah. So I've, I find it, it's fantastic that you've got the uh, the Patreon side of things going. And it, you, you've given yourself this accountability there to, to writing these songs. And I, lo- I love that idea. And then it's almost like, you, well, you have got a deadline, haven't you, to write this song yeah. for your Patreon patrons. Patreon, um <laughs> And also the idea that you have no extra ideas lying around, which I think's interesting as well, because it sort of mirrors i don't have a patreon and i'm not I'm not um releasing music in the, in that sort of format, but it's i i personally as well i don't have loads of ideas lying around I sort of focus on one particular idea or maybe two or three that are going to form a cohesive piece rather than have multiple ideas. Um, I mean the fact that you you don't have loads of ideas lying around do you think that's why you find it so much easier to to finish a song so you're not getting just distracted by sort of like shiny objects this other idea that I've got over there um how do you stay focused on one just one idea well the the deadline is is very persuasive as we mentioned <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: so I mean it's been it's been 6 years now on Patreon so that's mm. uh what 62 songs. Did I do that? right? No, that can't be right. Yeah. that uh, I, Why am I having trouble with this? No, 60 is five years, right? So mm, 72, se- 72. 72, songs, 72 tracks. So it works really well. Before Patreon, it took me six years to do an album because I would just keep rehash. You know what I mean? You, you finish mm. the last song and then you go back to the first song and you're like, well, that's not up to the standard of the last song anymore. I need to touch that up. And then you, you it's just an endless cycle. Um, so, yeah, I think I just sit down and, and do it because it's got to be done. Mm. And I don't, I'm probably not going to abandon an, an idea because even if the song isn't great, you know, it's still going to be up to a standard I establish. And if it's a patron exclusive, that's, that's even kind of cooler. You know what I mean? Like, then that's mm. something special that they get that nobody else gets to hear. Maybe a different side of me that doesn't, you know, kind of mesh with the public, you know, profile.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's that. That's great. I, lo- I love that, and I think the fact that you're releasing so many so many songs. I mean, sixty. What do we say? Seventy two. songs 72. over. <laughs> over, over yeah. yeah, over six years is amazing, and I like the idea that you sort of you plow on through and comp- complete a song, and it kind of mirrors the conversation I had with uh, with Ed Sunglasses Kid before Christmas in 20, in 2022, where he said the same thing. It's kind of like. You 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 might hit a brick wall, or you might think actually this song isn't quite doing it for me. But just persevere and break through and write that song anyway, because you don't know what's going to happen a, a, on the other end. Which I think is a great thing for our audience, because I know I I do chat and I interact with a lot of the audience, and the idea of not finishing songs is one of their main pain points: is is finishing a song and also thinking actually you know what I'm going to start something else because I've got a better idea. But <laughs> just yeah, I, I mean I've I've fallen foul of that. But in 2023, I've made a point now, of thinking right. I'm going to write a song. I've got 30 minutes a day. I'm going to dedicate to songwriting, and I'm going to break the back of the song, and I'm going to get through and do it. And it, and it's I'm reaping the rewards from it. It's and The podcast does help. I speak to so many artists like yourself, and it's great for me and the audience because I can take all this information, absorb it, and pick the pieces I want and create with this, this amazing workflow, which is fantastic. So... With regards to your composition, so we've sorry, we've been through the composition process. So with mixing as well, so you've you've you're doing all that in five days. How do you sort of the mixing process? How do you get it? For one of a better way of putting it, how do you get it done so quickly?
1: It's it's not really a process. Um, So the the best example of that would be, um, you know, I I don't know if you saw this. I, I released a cover of Depeche Mode's "Ghost" again within 12 hours of them releasing it. No, um, I haven't seen so, this. Yeah. So I found out, uh, I think I, I was emailing people who bought stuff on Bandcamp. You know, I like to, send a personal email every time somebody does that Mm. and somebody replied and then just mentioned, Hey, the new looking forward to the new Depeche mode single tomorrow morning or tomorrow or something. I was like, what? Okay. I, I I mean, I knew they had an album coming out, but I try to stay away from social media. So I didn't know that it was actually coming out at that day. So I went for my run, came back, looked for the song. It wasn't there. And I saw on YouTube, it was going to come out like in 20 minutes. (laughs) So I, I, um, You know, got a drink, hug out, heard the song. I was like, oh, I kind of like this. I I think I could do something with this. And I just threw everything aside and there it is. So the the mixing isn't really a separate process. Um, Like I don't rough everything out with sounds and just hope to fix it later. You know, I've got to hear how it's going to sound in context. So I'm always kind of mixing as I
0: go. We'll be right back. So I've got a hunch about a common struggle we all face, mastering. If you're an independent artist or music producer, you've probably encountered the frustration of masters that just don't hit the mark, right? They lack balance and refuse to play nicely across different devices and environments. Ever found yourself wondering, why don't my masters sound like my references? Perhaps you've spent countless hours attempting to master your tracks only to be unsatisfied with the results. Maybe you've tried every silver bullet plugin or even dabbled in AI. Or perhaps you're already working with an engineer, but you're eager to explore different possibilities. Well, here's the solution you've been searching for, synth music mastering. I'm offering a game-changing opportunity with a one-time free test master for a limited time. Picture elevating your music with my unwavering commitment to quality and a personalized touch that you just don't get with the big mastering studios. The best part, it won't cost you a penny just submit your finished mix and let's see how we can transform your music together don't let mastering be a mystery any longer say goodbye to the frustration and step into a world of sonic excellence grab your free test master now click the link in the episode description or head over to synthmusicmastering.com yeah i can see how that would make uh, sort of expedite the process and make it quicker so, with regards to the mixing, are there, have you got any sort of like top tips for if, if for producers out there, the audience listening who are writing and mixing as they go? Have you got any sort of top tips, or maybe a top tip for producers, artists that are doing that?
1: Well, I've maybe a controversial one. So, I've got just a load of advice that is me as a mastering engineer. Mm. telling clients to do so that their mixes are prepared properly. Perfect. The worst thing that they can do is to mix through compression and limiting because Mm -hmm. they want to know how it's going to sound. I know this is controversial. A lot of people swear by it. Uh, What happens is they do that, and to me, if they're going to compress the whole mix, anything you do to the whole mix is kind of by definition mastering. In yeah. in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's it's done on the master. It's performed on the master. So if you're going to compress it before you give it to me, my hands are tied as far as I'm concerned. the The attack and release characteristics of your compressor are permanently imprinted on the whole mix. I'm not going to be able to get the punch out of it that I want. So then, then, and you know, I, I usually hear things like, "Oh, it's only like you know, two or three dB," which is huge. Like, like Mm. to give you a perspective, I use, um, Unisim mastering compressor is, is my, my main, uh, tool for mastering. And it's the most intimidating plugin ever. It's got, (laughs) it's amazing the way that you can fine tune the detection circuit at different frequency bands to respond to the mix, but it's only a broadband compressor. It's not multiband, but yeah. Anyway, one of the features is you can, um, set a a limit on compression um so i have it set to 2 db like it will never compress more than 2b 2 db because i've i've set that as a limit so when people say oh it's just a couple db before they send it to me it's like well okay i i there's nothing left (laughs) so i would just i just my advice is always don't mix through compression and limiting it's a crutch get it right in the mix um so that that would be my number one
0: yeah Oh, brilliant. So, what about so a bit not necessarily devil's advocate here, but sure. what about uh producers that are mixing into I don't know some form of like I don't know tape emulation or something like that? Would oh, you? Oh, that's advise, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> would you advise then, like leaving that mix bus empty? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: okay. The, uh, so, if you want, well, tape emulation, not so much. But I mean, if you mm. want, if you want some sort of glue compression. On the drum bus, I mean, go for it. Of course, uh, that's yeah, not yeah, what yeah. I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not saying don't use a compressor anywhere in your mix. I'm just saying, of course, yeah, just not on the master bus. Yeah. Um, tape emulation is, you know, it's it's compression, yes, somewhat depending on how you hit it. It's adding harmonics, so it's a uh, saturator depending on how you hit it. Um, I again would say. If we want that color, it would be better for me to apply it after I do my other stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a really cool, again, in unison, there's a little kind of button called Higgy, I think is how it's pronounced. <laughs> I think it's like a you know, a Scandinavian thing. I don't, I don't know. I think it means sweet or something. but anyway, it's just it's just a little um, kind of transistor circuit that accomplishes a lot of the same thing that I can that just sounds amazing that you know if I get something that's really cold and sterile it doesn't happen much these days but you know like I just mastered a 20-year-old album and and converters were different back then so mm. I really helped warm that up so I've got tools on my end of course to do that and I would I would just say you know what I do when somebody really insists on having that is I say okay can you send me the mix both ways with the tape emula- emulation and without? And so I know what you're going for. And then I will do, hopefully prove to them that it was better <laughs> without. But, yeah,
0: you know. Brilliant. So going back to what you said earlier then about uh, when you're mixing, so you're effectively and, and how when you're mixing your own music and then you master it after thereafter, you, you mentioned there about you go back and fix in the mix rather than fix in the master. And obviously that is uh, that makes perfect sense. So just to touch on your, your mastering chain again of what you're using in your particular um, mastering, for our audience listening, and if they are doing their mastering at home, this sort of DIY mastering, have you got any advice? Yeah. Maybe again, a, a top tip, if they're mastering their own music, what yeah. would be your top tip there?
1: Well, okay, Uh, so if I ramble, you'll need to stop me, but I've I've got a little bit of a a preach it kind of thing. So I would would stay away from AI mastering at all costs. I actually consulted on Lander's Engine for a while, um, and you've seen like the latest Ozone has basically AI mastering built in. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get a little better idea of how it works, and – those processes and and this is goes for plugins like golfoss or soothe2 mm. any of these plugins that are in real time pushing your mix towards a certain spectral balance that they've predetermined is appropriate for your genre right so if you've got this you know EDM preset then they've they've decided like here's a tonal shape for the whole mix that that we see across the number of EDM hits, which, I mean, the the methodology sounds like it makes sense, right? So we want it to sound like a hit, so let's just keep pushing your mix in that direction the whole time. Um, Where it falls apart, though, is, you know, if you've got, say, the third verse, you drop the kick out for eight bars because, you know, you're trying to build up some tension and you want that to sound softer, well, these plugins don't know that, so they're Mm going to push you know, the the low end up now to try to get you towards that shape, that really doesn't apply anymore. Or if the hi-hat drops out, you know, what now? Now we got to push all the highs, the sibilance is coming up. So just philosophically, it just doesn't make any sense. So um, that would be the main thing. So, you know, ozone, like, isotopes are really cool. Somebody from there emailed me like a few years ago and said, hey, is there anything from our Collection you want, and I said no. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I think just like uh, maybe six months ago, I saw the latest one, and there was, there's a tool in there. I don't know if you've seen this. It, um, you can specifically raise the level of the bass, the vocal, yes. or the drums.
0: I have seen this. Yep,
1: and I was like, oh that looks cool. So I, I said, Hey, does that offer still stand? Yep. They sent me a a code for the, the full, like top level ozone. So I've experimented with that. I've used it. I used it on that 20 year old record because I mean, it was basically, you know, it, it was thrashed. I was just trying to, you know, get, get what I could from it. And there were some really interesting tools there. Um, so the main thing there is if if you're going to master yourself, like you don't have to use all the modules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and think really hard if you need multiband. Like, the real world is not multiband. We don't split things up and, you know, and bounce them off walls differently, or, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just, especially for for people in the synthwave world, we're trying to, you know, create an 80s sound with tools that didn't exist. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I, you know, I use um, broadband, as I mentioned, with Unisim compressor. I It has multiband detection circuits, but all the compression is broadband. And I think that makes the most sense. So I would stay away. You know, when if I'm going multiband, it's because I'm solving a problem. You know, the, mm. the hi-hats, like, maybe they're fine, but when the shaker comes in, in addition to the hi-hats, now it's crazy loud. And so... And, and I can't get them to fix it in the mix. The, the big thing with me as a mastering engineer, the, the difference I think between me and most people is that we go back and forth and fix it in the mix, and that makes my job easy. Like I'm not, I'm not here to show off all the cool toys that I have to, you know what I mean, to demonstrate the way that I can, you know, work around all mm. the problems you've created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i want to get it right and then what happens is over time then the people who work with me come back with better and better mixes and it's easier for everybody so yeah. yeah i would just say you know if you're gonna do it yourself air less is more um you compression is the main sound the main difference between a mastered mix and an unmastered mix so you're gonna want some compression and of course you're gonna need limiting and dither at the end of the stage and mm-hmm. um Anything else? If you can fix it in the mix, I I say fix it in the mix.
0: Yeah, great advice. Um, totally agree with that. With regards to fixing it fixing it in the mix, and it sort of echoes a conversation I had a few weeks ago, whereby we went through the phases of recording, mixing, mastering, and how get it right at source when you're recording, so you're not having to mm. fix it in the mix, and then get it right in the mix, so you're not then having to fix it in the master. And it just make it just makes sense. Going back to what you said there about multiband compression. Actually, no, before I move on to that bit, I really like what you said about how we're, we're creating music that existed in the 80s. We're using tools that didn't necessarily exist. And I'd never thought of it that way. And I really like that idea. And I think for the audience listening, if you think about it that way, when you next time you're producing a song, just only use tools that might... I mean, you're not probably not going to have necessarily have those tools to hand but maybe (laughs) limit yourself to tools that you think would have been around in that particular time and see what you come up with i think that's a great idea so with regards to multiband compression why do you think multiband because i've heard uh, a few people say that now audio engineers mix engineers mastering engineers about multiband compression and how not i mean you, you can use it but they kind of recommend not using it why do you think there is uh, a, a sort of a pocket of people that like to push multiband compression yeah i i don't know
1: i i keep up i lately i've tried to keep up with quote unquote modern production techniques mm. you know watching because i i honestly i kind of stopped <laughs> upgrading <laughs> my tools doing and and this is another discussion for later but hardware mm. since i hadn't kept up with at all for like 20 years, basically. So lately, I've I've kept up with uh, hardware tools, you know, doll list kind of setups, and and those and just synths, and with the latest plugins, and that's why I I just feel uh, so adamant against some of these, you know, uh, tools that are there to tame what they call, you know, nasty resonances, Mm. which. If if you'll permit me just to <laughs> explain that a little more, because yeah, I feel it. like that is so key. Like people now, I see it everywhere. Like I just saw a little um, uh, a mix demonstration from the guy who mixed the weekends after hours, and it's on the site called Mix with the Masters. Which yeah, yeah, it looks cool. So he goes through the the chain, uh, the mastering chain, and the vocal chain, and and I mean. It's amazing to me the record sounds as good as it does, uh, you know, because he goes through a clipper and he's got – but he's got Goldfoss on the master. And you just see that thing like it's got this huge spike pushing up at 12K like the whole way, bobbing up and down at 12K. And it's like, you know, in Goldfoss, you can actually restrict the frequency range. So it doesn't – you know, that's obviously not (laughs) what we want. Um, So – but here's the thing. Okay, so – Acoustically, this idea of resonances being a problem just doesn't hold water. You know, if if I'm singing, if the song is in the key of G, mm. and the bass guitar is playing a G, and I'm singing a G, you're gonna see frequencies that correspond with G. Yeah, all over. That's what we want. <laughs> that that is a feature, not a bug. We don't need to tame that. So if I let's let's turn this around. What if I said to you, hey? I have a tool that will turn up every note that is out of key with your song. Would you like to use it? I hope that you would say no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would. I would say no to that. I but, would say no. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah, percent.
1: But that's what we're signing up for. So, and now I lost yeah. what the question was because I'm just uh, so passionate I, about this.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it was. It started off with multiband compression. Yes. And why? Why? Uh, why? It's uh, some some producers, engineers, et cetera, Are advocates of multiband compression. Um, but what you said there about resonance is is fantastic. Um, but, yeah, it was multiband compression.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I can see – yeah, I see it, too, in Ableton, like, a lot. Uh, they split it up uh, with that – you know, there are built-in audio. I don't know. You use
0: Logic, I think?
1: I'm trying to yeah, remember. Yeah I, yeah,
0: I do, yes, yeah.
1: I, I own Logic. I bought it because it's – cheap or I was $199 and I mm. bought it because I had clients that I was like oh you know use Logic great send me your project I'll mix it in Logic and man just trying to learn two sets of key commands it, it does not work but um, anyway yeah so the multi-band thing I mean I used to kind of experiment with it in mastering and it it was interesting it's, it's arbitrary of course where you chop up the bands and it can kind of make sense like if you Let's say you're recording a vocal and the vocalist is too close to the mic and you've got proximity effect and that's coming in more on the lower register. Well, then sure. Uh, there's a particular frequency range that really is the problem. Let's do that. Another option then would be a dynamic EQ, right, where you can fine-tune just that frequency range and not necessarily chop up the whole spectrum into bands. Mm. Um so I mean obviously there there are times where you want to treat certain frequency ranges and not others dynamically. And that can make sense. I just don't like I mean the worst was back in the when the L3 came out, the Waves L3, right? Yeah. So you had the multiband limiter and it you know I was like, "Oh, wow, this is amazing." And you turn it up and it's like, "Oh, where did my bass go?" You know, it just Yeah. Right? Cuz most of the energy is in the low end, so it just it um yeah, so I I would say that not to never use multi band, but to think really hard about why you need it for this application. And um, and there are applications, but I very rarely reach for it. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for your insight on that. I'm, I'm always intrigued because I get, like I said earlier, I get to speak to so many different people, and you see all these different resources, and um, it's it's quite nice when I get. You you hear different sides of of the uh, the coin, so so to speak. I think I mixed metaphors there, um, <laughs> but, but it's interesting. You mentioned dynamic EQ because that was going to be a question of mine actually. What your thoughts are on dynamic EQ? Because I've once again I've heard some uh, some individuals sit on the fence, but some are pro, some are against dynamic EQ. I mean, is, is what are your thoughts on dynamic EQ? Uh,
1: again, I rarely use it. I'm thinking about I have one uh, bluegrass singer that I work with, I've worked with for many years. And she's got a, there's little kind of, nasal's not the right word. It's above nasal, but it's not a tone that creeps into her voice that I find, you know, her most uh, pleasing asset. And so I will sometimes hit that in Pro Q3 with a dynamic band. The difference is, so you can set um, with Pro Q3, you, if you just turn it on, it's going to kind of always be compressing to some degree in that band. Mm. So instead I like to take it off auto mode and set a threshold so that it's only doing the work when that particular, you know, problem area jumps in. Um, so again, it's really just a, a problem solver. Yeah. Yeah. As for wind and that's about, I mean, really, I so rarely use it. And, I want to say I I am a bit of a purist and a minimalist and I think that there are probably cases where I could get over myself a little bit and use tools like that more judiciously and they might benefit the final sound a little bit. But the the byproducts of that approach would kind of haunt me. (laughs) <laughs> like I would hear it and it would kind of bug me you know what I mean and yeah yeah and the same way like I had mentioned that um you know these taming resonances doesn't make sense it doesn't mean that if you slap Golfo's on a mix that it's gonna sound worse necessarily right so so there's a difference between kind of having a philosophical problem and you know agreeing that, it has its uses, or it can uh, flatter uh, a mix. I don't know. It's mm. so funny. You see the the guys. At least what I've seen in mastering is they'll they'll put it on. They'll be oh, we just need this little tiny bit, and it's like so much you can barely hear it. It's like okay, yeah. really? Do we did that really add anything?
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I I agree, and I think I'm very much uh, in the similar come to yourself with regards to the minimalist approach and not over or complicating things and from what you've said there and i don't know I, uh, from what i've seen and experienced is is there a case to say that as when we're mixing or rather than being creative um are we are we are, are is it that we're just seeking problems and trying to fix something that might ne- not necessarily exist because we've got all Because you see all these, like you mentioned there, with Ozone and these various different modules that you can put in Ozone. And then you're seeing them. You think, oh, I need to use that. I need to go and find a problem (laughs) so I can use this module to show that I can use Ozone. Because we have all these things. And then is there a case to say that we might be mixing by rote rather than actually creatively, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a danger for me. I think it can really be a danger if you're Mm. actually using Presets. You yeah. know what I mean? Like presets on EQ and compression don't really make sense. I mean, maybe a preset, uh, you know, on a compressor for drums is a starting point for the attack and release, but even that's going to you know, change things. But but yeah, yeah there yeah. is there is a mindset that we need to just get in there and and maximize. Like uh, wider is always better, right? I want more mm-hmm. width. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, or even even things that that are helpful, for example, monoizing your low end. Yeah. Um, I, do we have to do it with every track? Like, I admit, like, I I use um, Bass Lane Pro. I don't know if you know Tone Projects Bass Lane Pro.
0: I know of Tone Projects, but not of, not of that particular. Oh one. man, their
1: stuff is great. So they, they're mm. the same company that make the Unison mastering compressor. They also have um, Kelvin, which is a um, a dual stage saturator that's really cool. But, Um, anyway, like I like to check mixes with bass lane pro, but I don't feel like everything, unless it's, I know it's going to vinyl, like not everything has to be in mono below a hundred Hertz, you know, if it, if it doesn't make it sound better. Um, so yeah, I think we can maybe get a little dogmatic sometimes and, and, or want to use all the toys or, I mean, I don't do this, but I could imagine going so far as to create a a checklist, you know, for mm-hmm. each element or each bus of things we need to put on or check for or um, fine tune. And as long, I think at the end, as long as you're using your ears and as long as you don't, you're not listening to the same track a thousand times and then trusting your ears because we know how that works, right? You've, you've got right. to kind of get in and get out to some degree um, before you lose your objectivity. So I think if you can trust your ears, work quickly – uh, and in a perfect world, set it aside and come back in a month and double-check the mix, then um, you're probably not going to
0: get go too far off base. No, brilliant. And um, it's, it's great that you mentioned that about uh, monoing instruments below 100 hertz, or 80 hertz, because I had um, uh, this exact conversation with someone uh, earlier today, actually. Uh, we were talking about... Uh, the low end and how they wanted it to sound in a particular way, and I looked at the the project and I was, can you show me what you 're doing in this particular instrument? Can you show me what you what you 're doing in that in that frequency spectrum and it's, it, I pretty much said exactly what you said there is you don 't necessarily there is no rule that says that you everything has to be mono there maybe try try it not in mono and see what happens and i, I once again, <laughs> I effectively said what you said if it sounds good, it is good True. you know um so it's brilliant and it's it's great when I when I <laughs> it's great for me when I give someone that information that advice and then I hear it from someone the uh, producer mix Mastering master engineer such as well so okay. <laughs> it's great that, I, that my my uh, advice is sort of <laughs> backed up there which is brilliant <laughs> um Brian we're well aware of time here so what what I wanted to move on to next because this information has been fantastic is you've released a single uh, the serious one mm. maybe just a bit of information on that one there can you just explain to our audience a bit about that particular song, the start of the song, um, and what they can expect if they haven't heard it.
1: Yeah, so this was a tricky mix. Um, And it started in a weird way. I was kind of looking for some different drum sounds, and uh, I pulled in a 606 from Ableton. And instead of just pulling in the drum samples, I think I pulled in a pattern. Like, I don't know if it was from some other source, but... um, and it had all these crazy like 16th note cymbal hits that was just, it was totally overbearing, but it was kind of cool too. And so I worked from that and, you know, eliminated half of the the hits. But so that that's kind of where that one started from. And I'm not ever going to use a 606 again because the, <laughs> the kick is this weird blobby, pillowy, indistinct thunk. Yeah, <laughs> that was really hard to to get to work. Um, so yeah, um, as far as the the songwriting, like, well, okay, so I was a pretty, and I still am pretty insecure about the vocals. Like, that's the lowest I've sung on a track, and I feel like I'm, I don't know, I'm tempted to re-sing it for the album. We'll, we'll see if I do that. Um, and it's it's kind of a love song about unrequited love, but I would compare it to The, uh, the Police's Every Breath You Take where you mm. you know you hear it and you're like, oh, that's a beautiful song. And then it's like, oh, can't you see you belong to me? I'm like, mm. Like it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll be watching you. You're like, wait, maybe there's more to this than I, yeah. than I realized. It's yep. the same, same kind of thing. So the narrator is an unreliable narrator, which is always tricky. You're right. You're writing words that you expect the audience to know that. What the person is saying isn't actually true, um, so it's a it's about unrequited love. It's a little bit stalkerish, or maybe I think it could be potentially interpreted as the the protagonist is maybe on the spectrum, or you know, just not kind of not understanding the situation socially in the way that we would hope it would be mm. um, taken. So it's it's kind of a tricky tricky song, but if you just want to take it as a as a very pleasant love song, it certainly works that way too.
0: Yeah, I love what you mentioned there about uh, the police and every breath you take. It is one of those ones where actually, if you think, if you listen and sort of digest the lyrics a bit more, it has <laughs> there are slightly sinister connotations uh, <laughs> surrounding that song. So it's yeah, it's it's interesting that um, but brilliant. No, audience, do go check out the serious one as well. Um, it's a fantastic song, as as they all are, and obviously I'll put links to. Um, band camp and whatnot so the audience can go away and and listen to those as well uh brian we've got one question here um which is from our facebook community this is from um a member called tim woodruff and i think you might have possibly answered this earlier uh, but his question is what is the biggest mastering mistake that you see people making and what would you do to fix it
1: yeah i guess it's that's i would go with uh why well, i said two already right uh mm-hmm. mixing through compression and limiting and feeling like you need to use every module in ozone yeah um, yeah just if if you're not look my first five years as a mastering engineer like i mean i'd like to think it was good because i probably did at the time but it's not it wasn't that good it really takes a long time to be able to dial in the compression on an entire mix. And I Mm -hmm. kid you not, like I I am adjusting the thousandth (laughs) on the threshold, like the the, right, because it'll usually be uh, three digits after the decimal point. Mm -hmm. And that last digit, you wouldn't think it would matter. You'd think it's trivial. And I thought I was fooling myself for a long time, but uh, it really makes a difference. Like there's just... A sweet spot, and it is so small. Um, and like I said, I thought I was fooling myself. There was a um, a client, a uh, Crag Space March in Australia. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he has he has great stuff. He used to work for Universal. He may still mm. do that. And he had the ears to really detect it. So I would adjust things by that thousandth, and he would reliably say, "Nope, nope, that was." <laughs> You know, um, <laughs> so it was cause seriously, I thought, okay, you know, cause you've had that right where you're, you're mixing and you realize later that the EQ is in bypass, but you,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, we've so, all been there.
1: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, the, the, so my point is that, uh, it is a very delicate process. If you're not confident in what you're doing and if you haven't been mastering for a long time, you're probably not doing your best, at least try to minimize the potential damage, don't compress more than, you know, one to two dB tops. Any mm-hmm. problem you hear, if it can be fixed in the mix, fix it in the mix. Um, I uh, would say don't master louder than negative nine luffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the th- that can be a really good test, actually. If, if I have a mix that I pull in and... I I master it at a volume that sounds about right and then I pull it and I look and it's like, wow, it's like negative seven luffs. That probably means that there's work to be done in the mix. Like things are yeah. balanced right. If you've got a good mix, the exception I would say is a sustained like re-space, something like that that's going to soak up a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most mixes, if if you can't get it sounding good at negative nine luffs, then you've got, you you know, go back into the mix and for me, I've that means, you know, bringing down the kick, bringing down the base. I always want more, but I got to bring it down um, because that's that's where a lot of that energy gets eaten up. Mm.
0: Excellent advice. Yeah, brilliant. And it's great that you mentioned that about uh, the negative nine lefts as well because um, that is – there's so much information online with regards to streaming platforms and mm. – and advice in sort of air quotes regarding what levels should be and whatnot. So it's great to hear that you, you as a mastering engineer, you're you're doing that, you're doing the mastering process and then looking at the level. Um, there's sort of after as well. I've got one quick question with regards to this. So now you mentioned there, sort of after the five years, you sort of progress and whatnot. Do you, uh, it's, it's a weird question, but do you hear m- like music differently when you're in mastering mode? If someone sends you a song, <laughs> <Yeah>. do you, <laughs> it's, it's a weird question, but no, do you man, hear it absolutely. differently yeah. to, to w- analyzing a mix?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely do. Because what, what happens quite often is I will master a record and then the artist will say, all right, so which is your favorite song or what, or do you have, you know, can you put it in a sequence for me? And you'd be surprised at how many artists ask me to sequence their albums, um, but my first, you know, it takes me takes me aback because I just have not listened that way at all. And if you ask me what the best song is, it's going to be the one with the best mix, right? <laughs> at that yeah, yeah. at that stage. So yeah, I listen very very differently, and I rarely comment on the music itself. Um, you know, when I'm when I'm mastering stuff. I just don't, yeah, it it almost doesn't even occur to me. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's very different
0: interesting yeah it's uh it echoes the conversation once again i say this a lot because i've had so many conversations (laughs) uh but yeah um exactly that and then how music is heard differently by mastering engineers this has been brilliant i know we've um we've gone off on a tangent as i regularly do on these (laughs) episodes because i I, uh a guest will say something and then immediately i'll make a note and think oh i want to ask this question i end up going down a rabbit hole and and then totally disregarding all the notes i've made prior to the interview but no this is Fantastic information, and our audience is going to get loads out of this. Um, This is great, and it's going to feed in nicely to like the Mix Engineer Mastering miniseries that I'm sort of um, collating and putting together. So this is fantastic. Um, Brian, uh, where can our audience find you online? Where's the best place to go?
1: Well, uh, colortheory.com would be probably the best entrance. So a lot of – like I'm not very up on social media. Like I'm not – Doing videos. I mean, this, is, this isn't great. I mean, I realize I, I should probably do better. <laughs> but uh, I've, I'm not on t- I've, I I'm have my account on TikTok, but I'm not posting anything on TikTok. I don't do reels. The, the way to really keep up with me and get to know me would be to go to colortheory.com. I've got a mailing list subscription there. I mm-hmm. send you five of my best songs for free. And um, that's the way I update people is, is through email. Um, Of course, the next level then is becoming a patron and that starts at $3. And you, as we discussed, get a new track every month. And many of those go on to be released at some point, but uh, some don't. And uh, you have input into kind of the process and what ends up getting released and picking artwork and fun stuff like that. So it's a good time.
0: Fantastic. That Patreon idea is uh, is brilliant. I love that idea that you're sending music out and then I suppose your audience then they feel connected and part of the process because they're having an input which is which is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's listening. great
1: for me like uh cover art specifically like okay, pick a <laughs> pick a design and and that gets a lot of people really involved. And I don't know if you saw this. Um Spotify, I don't I hope it comes soon but announced something about Uh, connecting with Patreon so that we can have patron-exclusive material on Spotify. So that would be amazing. Imagine, you know, I've got a patron-only album that... Because, right, they're listening on Spotify too, and they've got a, you know... They can listen to my music through a podcast link, which is still cool. Mm. They can listen on their phone, but to listen on Spotify and, better yet, to have people who aren't patrons see that they can unlock this album by becoming a patron... It's uh, yeah, it's really exciting. I, I'm, I hope it actually happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. It, it, it sort of sparks the creative fire in me. Really thinking about it now. I wonder if they'll do the same for podcasts. That's something I have to look at, look into. Yeah, because yeah, i thinking exclusive. It's probably something I should discuss on air, but it's exclusive podcast uh, episodes and whatnot. Uh, but uh, that's that's further down the line. That's for another day. Um, have you got any key dates or any anything like that you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, this episode will go live, I believe, memory serves, sort of around the beginning of April.
1: Okay. Well, uh, April will be the first month I take off from releasing a track. In a long time. And that's because I mentioned the Ghost Again thing. That was mm. the fifth release in five weeks. It was insane. <sighs> and I need to break, and you need to break. And mm. uh, so, but what I'm going to try to do, and this is the first time I'm saying it out loud, so now it may have to happen, is <laughs> I want to do another um, free plus shipping and handling offer. So I've got, I was thinking of giving away CD copies of The Majesty of Our Broken Past, which is kind of my big synthwave album um, Mm -hmm. from 2018. And so hopefully people can keep an eye out for that. It'll be on colortheory.com. So the idea is the CD's free. You just got to cover shipping, which isn't too bad in the U.S., but if you're not in the U.S., it is bad and it's not my fault. (laughs) But (laughs) um, And then the next actual release will be She's Made of Wires in the beginning of May, of course, on Bandcamp Friday.
0: Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Um, Brian, thank you so much for spending the time with me today. It's been great. I appreciate um, you've had to you've get up early and whatnot and um, <laughs> squeeze this into your day. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's one of those ones where the, the podcast is around the world, but um, the, the times suit me and not necessarily <laughs> the people I'm talking to well, a lot of the time. Fair enough. Uh, no, I really yeah.
1: enjoyed it. No, thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: No, no, it's been brilliant. It's been great to pit your brains and sort of hear more about your your story at the beginning and also your advice with regards to music production mixing and and specifically mastering as well because i think this year on the podcast um the previous sort of 60 episodes ha- haven't really touched on mastering at all hmm. and um it's been great that in 2023 there's been a this episode there was a previous one uh, earlier in march i think it was so it's great to now have some mastering insight as well because i know there are a lot of producers out there and artists who are doing it themselves and not necessarily know where to begin or or i've been misinformed so it's it's fantastic to have you on chatting about that as well um so i know they're going to get a lot out of it so brilliant once again ryan a big thank you for joining me today thank you very much you bet thank you thank you i'll uh, speak to you soon Whoa! Before you go, make sure to snag your free Test Master from Synth Music Mastering. Imagine enhancing your music with my steadfast dedication to quality and that personalized touch. And here's the kicker, it's absolutely free, no cost at all. Simply head over to synthmusicmastering.com or click the link in the episode description to claim your free Test Master.